Did you know that we have released over 40 podcasts on dyslexia and associated difficulties? I can't believe that when I first started the podcast show, I wasn't sure if anyone would listen. And I thought at some point I would have to stop because how much can you really say about dyslexia? Well, I've come to realize a lot, and this podcast is no exception. I'm honored and in awe of today's guest, who has been labeled a thought leader in the field of sales and psychology, the entrepreneur's godmother, and has 25 years of award-winning sales experience. Alison is an author, a fellow dyslexic, and in 2015 attended the Queen's Royal Garden Party and was named one of the UK's top 10 business advisors. As a budding social entrepreneur, I'm super, super excited to speak to Alison today about her career and life with dyslexia. I really hope this conversation inspires you as much as it inspired me. Thank you so much, Alison, for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to be interviewing you. You're all the way over in England and I'm in Melbourne, so welcome. Thank you so much, Shay. That is such an honour to be on the show. I'm a real, um, obviously, as a dyslexic, I'm a huge fan to support dyslexia and I'm a, f- a huge fan of Australia. So two of my favourite subjects combined. That's wonderful. And it's really exciting to hear that you've lived in Australia as well, as we were just talking before we started our recording. Um, what brought you to Australia just out of interest? Oh, really, if I, can, I, I will be very honest, the weather. <laughs> weather and the way of life and it's interesting I had come from I'd left Scotland and I lived in Cape Town for a couple of years Um, and it was the start of a sort of a bit of a world expedition and from Cape Town I went to the Channel Islands which is just off the UK and they're really small islands and it was quite claustrophobic so I thought I had to find a bigger island that had much more to do in it and everybody says such wonderful things about Australia and I think it was quite daunting because I travelled on my own but I think that's one of the things again with dyslexia sometimes it makes you quite bold I, I think if you have overcome things as a dyslexic you, you kind of feel I don't know that that opportunities are there for you to find so I lived um I lived in Sydney I lived in Cape uh sorry I lived in Manly in Sydney for about 18 months but I lived in the Northern Territory at Ayers Rock for six months so I was there for two years in total and I absolutely loved it it's funny that you say um, dyslexics are bold because I left Australia for the first time when I was 20 to the UK and nannied in um, England and went to Scotland. And I've always found that I've done things a little bit differently to everybody else in that sense. Have you found that yourself? Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of our kind of, you know, we are probably going to more in depth about when I was diagnosed and how I, how I, I travelled and the journey of where I got to now. But I think that I've always embraced it. I didn't know I had it. I mean, I didn't even know it was a thing. I just, I think originally I just thought I couldn't spell. And then you realise there's so much more to it. But I think one of the secrets is really focusing on your strengths. So I think at an early age, when I realised something like academically was different to the, the people that were sitting next to me in a classroom, I had to find different ways to do things. And I think that's, I, I think that definitely finding your strengths as a dyslexic, as soon as you can do that, helps it as your superpower and you've found your strength definitely by becoming a thought leader in sales and um, doing wonderful things like going to the queen's garden party in 2015 which we'll talk about in a minute but when were you diagnosed with dyslexia 
So not until later, without giving too much of my age away. Oh, I'll just tell you, I'm going to be 53 this month, right? So um, I was educated in the late 70s, early 80s. It wasn't a thing. I mean, it probably was a thing. It is a thing, but it wasn't recognised as being a sort of hidden disability or it wasn't recognised as... It just had a, a stigma that you were a bit thick. And I think... One of the things I love now, because both my sons have been diagnosed dyslexic and actually it's brilliant because it's recognised, you know, the academic system gives them extra time. It gives them coping tools. It gives them coping strategies. It really, you know, it's lovely to see that. But at the time for me, I left school at 16 because I wasn't, I couldn't retain the information. I can remember it vividly and obviously it's quite a few years ago, but the one thing that really honed into me was chemistry and I came from I come from a high-rise council house council high flat in Scotland and my mum was a cleaner my dad worked on the shipyards as a draftsman and I've got an older sister who's seven and a half years older than me and she's non-dyslexic so she was like a straight A student she's really clever like all A's for like A levels and and she is a pharmacist, so she had a scientific path. And I thought, well, that's you sort of follow the path of older people in your family. Like, she can do that. I'm going to do that. So I chose subjects similar to hers. And I can remember studying for chemistry O-levels. So, you know, I think you're 15, 16 at that time. And I, the one thing, I think this is, I knew there was something not right. I couldn't retain the information. So like, I was studying photosynthesis and I would read it. And, and again, my, even my family didn't get it. They're like, well, you're not trying hard enough. And I'm like, well, I can read what photosynthesis is, right? And then I can learn. I, can, I still don't remember what it is. And, and I'm reading it and I'm absorbing it. And then I go and I'll maybe get a, a, something to eat or a drink of water or whatever. And then, you know, somebody will say, well, what's photosynthesis? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, well, what do you mean you don't know? You just read it. It was in your head a minute ago. Why can you not remember it? I'm like, I don't know. I just can't remember it. And it was, fr- I think, frustrating. And, that, and then I started to doubt myself, am I trying hard enough? And that I think that's where the thick, you know, you're thick, you're stupid. You kind of tell yourself that, you know, more than other people. I mean, I think nowadays, because it's recognised, the stigma, especially in, in schools, isn't as strong because you know if the guy next to you calls you thick that you know that that's not going to happen they go oh yeah can I help you you've got dyslexia but that's not how it was in the 70s and 80s and I think what I learned at that point no matter how hard I tried and you know what I love one of the things at the moment that really dumbfounds me uh, is people like Kira Knightley um, Orlando Bloom you know some of the famous um, dyslexics who are in the acting profession, I just think to myself, how on earth can they remember the words of the script? I mean, I, I can't even remember one sentence about photosynthesis. These, these guys have got great coping strategies to remember. So what I did then at 16, I knew I wasn't going to get any of these um, like educational accolades. But what I had to do is focus on my strengths. And I think this is a top tip to anybody that's listening on this. You know, find your strength. For me, it's I love people. I love um, communication, engagement. And for somebody who can't remember a sentence about photosynthesis, 
I can remember the names of pretty much everyone I went to school with when I look at a photograph because I have got an amazing superpower memory for people. And that's, you know, so many people concentrate on the things they can't do and they forget the things they're amazing at. And that's one of my biggest top tips. Just concentrate on things that you are brilliant at and the rest falls into place. So how did you find that at a young age? Because a lot of people, particularly in Australia, when I was advanced in the UK around supports for young people and adults with dyslexia, and a lot of the research shows the struggles that we have. So how do you find your strength at 16 or start to build on your strengths? I think your strength comes from your passion. I think to be to excel at anything, you have to be passionate at it. So if you look at, you know, um, again, interesting that dyslexics in music, you know, you see two, some that, you know, they, they, can't, they can't read the music or they can't like do it by memory because they can't remember but they can actually like when they follow the notes they're really brilliant at it well why would you bother hiding the paper when you can actually just follow the notes um and the same with um you know sport sporting accolades or a numeracy or caring or you know to be I, I honestly believe to be to excel at something you have to be really passionate about it and that's where follow your passion follow the heart what are the things that make your heart sing you know, don't concentrate on the, the the things that don't. Just keep focusing on that. And and I mean, this is where again, like running the business. Even from early doors, I knew that I had to have somebody in the business supporting my admin type things because I, I can't. Oh, I can do it. I, I think that's another thing that you know, if you put your mind to anything, you can do it. So I could do a PowerPoint presentation. I could do all the but it takes me ages why and it, and it's torture why would i do that when i can actually and again if you find somebody whose strengths are, are opposite to yours they can't remember the people then i think that's where your collaboration really does help dyslexia yeah i think you're right um collaboration is really important pulling in people that have strengths in areas where you're not so strong is such an important i think it's a really important skill and a really good coping strategy that we develop as we progress in our career how did you land in the in the business that you're in and becoming a thought leader in sales I mean I think it goes further back than that because I moved into hospitality which is what opened the world up to me so when I realized that university wasn't really going to be an option for me because again I just couldn't retain the information I got a job as a hotel receptionist and again playing to my strengths I thought a hotel receptionist, all they did was like give out keys, ticking in, ticking in. <laughs> what I didn't realise was the whole of the back of house world in hospitality. So um, the numbers, the organising weddings, and I've got exceptional organisational skills. So again, another strength was I'm really great at organising things, things like you know especially around people so if it was like a rota or a wedding so like I was like MC and I was like hosting weddings at 17 because I knew that that's something I was good at and I was confident in so I think that the other thing and this is really showing my age that when I worked in the hotel there was no computers so everything was done manually we had big ma uh, manual tab books and calculators and pencils and rubbers and everything had to balance so it really gave me a 
a great understanding of business. You know, I understood that where the money was coming from, what was being spent, if it was in profit. I got a really good grounding in that. And that's another thing that added to the superpower that I could work out how things worked. And that then led me to, again, working in the Channel Islands, working in Cape Town, working in Australia and back in hospitality. And it was only when I came back to the UK, this was 93, I came back, so again, showing my age, um, (laughs) that I met my husband and my husband is a software developer and he literally he was a keeper he was a good one so we met in 93 I don't even know how many years that is I've never two seven 27 years ago wow where did that time go some of the listeners probably weren't even born at that stage when I met him (laughs) and um he was really good and I had a choice because obviously in hospitality you work shifts and he was working Monday to Friday nine to five and he he said you either have to try and get a Monday to Friday nine to five job you know I'm going to have to chuck you and he was a keeper I don't you know I like this one so I ended up working in the very first call centre that BT British Telecom opened in Scotland to direct mail direct response so outbound telesales for lack of a better word and that was another thing that I took all my hospitality skills around people and I transferred them into sales so I had no fear of picking up the phone or no fear of having conversations with people that I didn't know because that was one of my strengths that I had honed since I couldn't do the other things and I I turned out I was really good at it like I won all the prizes and like some quarters I'd be 3000 percent a target I mean it was massive it was big numbers and that then led me to start my sales career we then moved to to England and we got married and then had the kids along the way and I worked for big companies like Yellow Pages which I think is is it I'm not sure if it's Yellow Book in Australia or Yellow Pages and um, Dow Egbert's the coffee company so I worked for some great blue chip companies who just trained me in sales and it was only when again I believe on change on the way up not on the way down when the businesses were changing they didn't they weren't changing at the pace that I wanted them to change at and that's when I set up my own sales training company to to just teach people to sell the way that I do with heart and passion and that's why again I believe to be fill your potential you've got to be really passionate about what you do. So from a child were you always were you in a family environment that worked towards your strengths anyway so when you came up against those challenges it it was okay for you because you knew you were good in other areas? Yeah, again, I, I believe that I have, and, and, and I know that I am blessed, so we might not have been blessed with money, but I was blessed with a good supportive family. And and I'll give you an example, and again, this is hopefully will inspire like some of your um, listeners who maybe just come into terms with their dyslexia and maybe, you know, not found the strengths to support them around it. And I can remember that my sister, again, straight A students, so... And my mum's one of 12 children, so we come from quite a big extended family. And my sister like, would have her old grade results and, you know, there would be a couple of congratulations cards on the mantelpiece. And and I got a C for arithmetic, so it was before they split maths and arithmetic because the mathematical things I couldn't retain, mm-hmm. but actually counting. I was not bad at counting, so I quite liked that. And I got a C for this um, this arithmetic. 
And I tell you what, the house was filled with cards because everybody's expectation was that I was going to get nothing. And I more or less got nothing. <laughs> I think it was a C or a D, you know, I can't remember exactly. But it wasn't what you would deem an amazing result when you've got all these like A-star students. But for me, that I did my best and I achieved the best that I could. And people were really recognising my effort and my reward. And I, I think my, my parents always taught me to believe that I can do anything I want. I can achieve absolutely anything I want. I've just got to put my mind to it and work really hard and like focus on my strengths. So I, I believe a lot of that came from there. But I think I, I haven't actually answered one of the questions is when I was diagnosed nope. with dyslexia. <laughs> it was, I think I would have been in my maybe 30s, early 30s-ish, I think. And I'd gone to see a client that was a, an I doctor, what is it? Uh, optometrist, optometrist. So I'd gone to the optometrist to, to look at their advertising for the following year. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. Look, I really struggle with the spelling side of things and the writing side. And they said, oh, I think you might have dyslexia. And I, I said, well, I'm sorry, what is that? Is that like, an, is that like something to do with your eyes? <laughs> said, no, 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 it, like it's, it's your neurons. And, and they said, we, we um, diagnose people and we, we can give them the filters for reading and all that kind of stuff. And I said, oh, how, how do I how do I check if that's me and they did the test and they said oh yeah yeah you're definitely dyslexic so I was diagnosed at later you know it's not just hunch I was diagnosed at a later age and I think that's you know you don't always need a label you know I think that it's not about putting the label on it but I think sometimes it reassures you that you're not you're not just going a little bit mad <laughs> Well, you're definitely not going mad with all of your amazing achievements. What was it like um, setting up your business and then growing it the way you've grown it to now become an author and doing all these amazing things? I think setting up the business wasn't as bad because, again, I think if you have overcome things in your educational side of things, you do become a wee bit more bold. And, and you know, Touchwood, I'd had a job for a long time. Again, my top tip was I started the business when I was working part-time so I was running both and it was only when the business took off that I could then stop working and then I'd, I had a bit of a you know a buffer a financial buffer and I think that's really important when you start a business that you're not because you you're not desperate to sell you've got time to find your way kind of thing so I think setting up a business when you're already working and, and changing over from there so that wasn't too bad and then taking on a team expanding the business I really enjoy that because I take on like young people and uh, again, some of them with dyslexia, some of them without dyslexia, some of them with anxiety, some without, some with like, like deeper, deeper issues, some without. And I just feel I can make a difference. I know I've made a difference to their lives because they tell me all the time, like I've actually got two children. I've got two boys. One is uh, 19 and the other one is 18, but I feel like I've got 10 kids because all my team that I've worked with me who have gone against, one's living in, in um, Melbourne and one's in Canada, one's in Portugal, one set up his own business. I feel they're still part of my family and um, I love that. That's one of the things that I love is making a difference to people. Um, but I would say the biggest challenge, oh, the biggest challenge, and I still look at it now, was the book. So for somebody <laughs> who really struggles to write even a sentence, and I think even on the first book, I've, I've written two books now. The second one isn't out yet, but I've now got a Mac. And I love the fact that the Mac, we call it Fiona. So we set like the audio, you know, the thing that reads your audio. We've set it to a Scottish accent and it, we call it. So we just get Fiona to check the work, which has definitely happened in the second book. But the first book, we didn't have Fiona. And it was awful. I mean, 
And touch wood, again, one of my team really helped me pull it out of the bag because there's days that I just felt I couldn't go on with that. I couldn't. But again, it's that why do you do it? And it was because the gov- there was used to be government funding to fund the services that I offer. And the government had pulled the funding. And the people that needed me most were the startups and the micro businesses. And those are the people who don't have any money. So how do you help the people that need you most and still have a, you know, sustain a business yourself? If you put it in a book, then somebody can pick it up for $10. You know, that's why I had to keep going. So I had to keep going, had to keep going. And then writing the book had two fears. So fear number one, what happens if I write this book and nobody reads it? Man, oh man. And then the second fear, and this is the one that catches you in the pit of your stomach. What happens if I write this book and people read it and they think it's rubbish? Oh, man, no. Oh, my gosh. It was really tough. It was really tough. But, I mean, touch wood. And I think this, again, this hopefully will inspire the listeners that the book went mad. So, again, because... I've got quite a big following, especially on tools like LinkedIn, that I've got, you know, a nice supportive fan base who don't judge me for my spelling or my grammar or they just are really inspired by the stuff that I do. And when I called to them when the book came out and said, look, the book's coming out, love you to support me, love you to buy it. Literally, on the day that it launched on Amazon in the UK, it sold out. People had to wait two weeks to get copies of the book. It was completely sold out. Wow. And it hit number one. And then in the UK, we've got a store called WH Smiths, which you'll know from your time in the UK. Um, and it's at the train stations and the airports. So it's like a, a um, discretionary store. You know, you go and it's there and you buy the books. And, and it hit their top 10 business books so again this dyslexic that couldn't write can't doesn't know anything about photosynthesis has actually put a book together and the independent newspaper voted it one of the top business books written by a woman in 2019 so again there was so many dark days she writing that book and I mean there was tears there was tantrums there's I can't go on I can't do it anymore go to jack it in but it's worth it in the end. And, you know, I think that was right in the book. So again, that was bad enough for a dyslexic. And you'd think, wouldn't you, the normal people would just call it quits and stop. No, 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 no. I decided to narrate it. Oh, wow, you've done it yourself. Oh, that was just awful. I, I, I feel like the, that's just amazing. I feel like the universe has sent you one because I was just finishing my book ready to go to typeset to get printed and I'm sitting there thinking who's going to read this this is ridiculous everything you've just said resonates so much with me but also the audible audible I've been saying to people I need someone to do it because dyslexic people need to listen to it but I can't do it I'm dyslexic and yet here you are and you've done it that's amazing oh she I promise you this was the most hilarious time (laughs) hilarious I don't know if that's the right word to be fair and my publisher was keen to get the book on Audible. And again, I, as a dyslexic, I find that sometimes listening on Audible, especially like, I'm not too bad. I can I can read a fiction book slowly, but there's a story to follow. Whereas the business books, I find them quite dull and I, can, I, I can't read them because I get lost. Whereas 
I can listen to them in audible. And that's where I thought, well, if that's a dyslexic, I really, I, I, it's my duty. And again, it's that thing that you feel it's your duty to help people. So I've got one of my young entrepreneurs that I work with and he's called Ben Towers and he is amazing. So I've been working with him since he's been 15. At 18, he did a multi-million pound merger. Um, he's now got his own company in the mental health space, like a mental health app. And he's really well connected. I think I'm well connected. He's really well connected. And he connected me to this boy called Taylor Jones. And Taylor is actually a recording producer for audio, for music. So he commutes part of the time between LA and part of the time between England. And I, and Ben said, look, you know, Taylor might help you by doing the recording for you. So I sent him a message and he's young. Like I think at the time he would be 23, 24-ish. And again, between, like he's an, like a proper producer, like one of his um, acts, he's now in LA permanently. One of his acts has just won like a Golden Globe Award or whatever it is. Wow. <laughs> I mean, massive. He's a massive record producer in LA now. And he said, okay, Alison, I'll help you. So I would, I, and I, this is another thing. I'm, I'm never ill. I never really get the cold. I don't really get, you know, I don't get sick. I'm always pretty much in good health. Not when I was recording the audiobook. I've got the cold, right? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and another thing I didn't realise, when you record an audiobook, you can't have the air conditioning on or the window open because of all the background mm. noise. And now the UK, compared to Australia, the weather here is pretty rubbish. No, not when I was recording the audiobook. So it was scorching hot. I had a stinky <laughs> cold. And I can't read, right? So, and again, I think this is the other thing that, it was hilarious that this poor boy, there was a lot of editing went on because I'm great in interviews. So I know that one of my strengths is an interview. I'm brilliant because there's no script. I don't have to follow. I can just speak from my heart. But when you're reading, especially your own book, you have to read it word for word. So every time I would screw up with a word because my head was dancing around the page and I'd miss, the, I'd miss loads of the words and he'd go, Alison, you need to stop and do that sentence again. And I couldn't, like we're a non-dyslexic, would probably be able to like read two pages or three pages without error. I was struggling to read a sentence without error. And it was like, oh. And then when I thought I got to a paragraph, then my head would go into overdrive. I would get really excited. And then I would <laughs> screw up on the next paragraph. <laughs> but again, I had to do it because my voice is quite, you know, distinct. Yeah. And it's part of my brand. I can't, I couldn't let anybody else read it because it's my words and they would never feel genuine if they weren't, if my words weren't coming out of my mouth. So what we did was we kind of cracked it. I think I was a bit overzealous of how long I thought it would take. So we did that one, day one. And then I said, oh, we'll do it in the next day. And he'd been back and forward to LA by this time. But one of the things, and this is going to sound really odd, but one of the things that kept us going was the crown. You know, the Netflix show, mm -hmm. the crown? Because even for a young boy, he was watching the crown and I was watching the crown at the same time, right? And he would go, ah, uh, Lila Bet, that wasn't great. I think you have to re-record it. And I go, okay, Philippe, I'll re-record it. So we spoke to each <laughs> other like the queen and prince all the way through the recording. But uh, Touchwood, um, it has, like the book's been so well received and the audible version has been really well received as well. So it was well worth doing it, but yeah. Well, I'm going to down purchase your audiobook now so I can learn some tips from you because you've made me think that maybe I should just jump in and do it as well. <laughs>
Yeah, I tell you what, though, and like you, you probably wouldn't notice, but I can notice. So um, there's a gap, not a gap, but you can hear from the days that I recorded when I was sick at the start to the end when I wasn't sick. And also a big top tip, I would listen to it on 1.25 because, again, as a dyslexic, the speed of my reading is quite slow mm. and it's over pronounced. So, again, that's my top tips, 1.25. And then don't, don't listen for the gap where you hear me being ill and not being ill. Oh, I can't wait to listen to it now. You're so inspiring. And one of the um, reasons I was so excited to interview you was because I haven't had the opportunity to speak to many female social entrepreneurs. And we hear so much about Richard Branson and Jamie Oliver and so many males uh, in the entrepreneur space. But we don't hear so many female voices. Have you found that? Which is one of the reasons why I wrote my book, um, because I felt I hadn't seen a lot of female entrepreneurs. And have you felt that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's some famous dyslexics that really, um, you know, are, are helping making it more mainstream and, and well-known. But, I, you know, I hadn't even thought about it. But Because if you think about females, the one the one I really think about is definitely Kira Knightley. I mean, she rocks my world. I love her stuff anyway, to see her doing that. And, again, I've got a friend um, who's also an actress, and I, I just I don't know how they do it. Literally, I just don't know how they do it because it's not like... You can read the script. You have to memorise it or mm. maybe they've got prompts. I don't know what they do. But, no, you're right. It wasn't anything I've ever thought about. It, but, yeah, maybe. But then I think females in entrepreneurship are actually quite um, underrepresented anyway. I think it, there's a lot of male entrepreneurs that are, you know, at the, the peak. So, you know, that's that's good. That means that we have to try harder and be shout louder and be more visible. Yes, we definitely need to be more visible. What would your... Um your top tips be for female or male entrepreneurs that are dyslexic because there's supposed to be a lot of us out there and I don't know whether it's because we we struggle to work for other people or we're just we're just wanting to do something that we're so passionate about that we end up in this space I do honestly think there is a again I I don't know the research but I do think there's definitely a link between entrepreneurism and dyslexia definitely the numbers are too high for the successful ones and I think it's because of our problem solving abilities. And again, if you look at what entrepreneurship is, it's somebody that finds a problem and finds a way to solve it in a better way that, than, it, than it exists. So again, for me, like, you know, the sales training industry, there people don't know how to sell. There's a problem that a lot of companies don't know how to sell. So I can fill that by teaching them how to do it the way that I do it. So I do think that there is definitely a strength link in there. And I don't know, I mean, I, I had, I mean, it's really interesting you say, the, the, you know, about working for other people. I mean, I've got, you know, I've had dyslexic people in the team and that, that's where I think the tools really do help. So if they're writing a blog, for example, so one of the girls, Nicola, that used to work for us, she came in in a marketing and an admin type role and there was a lot of written and she was always quite worried that she was going to get it wrong. Well, we love it when people get things wrong. We, we really treasure that because we know that's how they learn. And I think that's where, you know, using tools like Fiona or the audio, you know, listen back. It just helps their, you know, it really helps you. People don't really know because all the things that you've missed in your first edit of anything that you're writing, when you listen back to it, you know, audio were quite good. Dyslexics are usually quite good when it comes to audio that mm. you can pick it up and then just keep rechecking it. And yeah, it takes longer, but like Nicola would knock out some absolutely amazing blogs. That was her job. She would put out the post on social media. 
again, they were all brilliant. So I think it's confidence. I think sometimes it's using those coping strategies because a lot of businesses don't work. A lot of businesses fail. So, you know, just because you're dyslexic, you do have to have a job. You know, most people that are dyslexic will have jobs. And again, use the tools. Don't be afraid to speak out and say, look, you know, because if you look at the strengths, if you go into a, um, a think tank session, you know, that's where the dyslexics really come into their own because they hold no boundaries. Oh, yeah, we could do this. We could do that. We could do the next thing. But they definitely are very concept driven, which, again, if you look at entrepreneurs, look at Steve Jobs, you know, a lot of his stuff wasn't the, the building of the iPhone. It was the concept, the big picture, and then supporting themselves with collaborators that would see things through to the end of the project. That's one of the strengths of dyslexia, I think, is is coming up with the ideas that, that the non-dyslexics can't come up with. So are there strategies that you put in place day to day to help you manage or because you're working on the passion, there's, the dyslexia doesn't come into effect what you're doing? It does because um, I do a lot of my posts, like say, for example, it's a LinkedIn post. I'll write that myself because, again, it comes from my heart, my passion and my words. And, uh, you know, there's things that, again, one of the things is my team have always been brilliant at writing like me they can even write in Scottish none of them are Scottish but they can <laughs> write in Scottish so sometimes I read some of the words and again the same with the books like there'll be bits of the book that Kaya will have written through my eyes like I will have spoken it and she would have managed to get it out of my head right. and write it and I, I, I'm like did I write that did you write that I can't tell the difference of who wrote what so I think you know, that's one of the things that we are good at, tend to be good at, is collaboration and, and you know, never be afraid to get other people to help you. That's, that's again, a strength, not a weakness. Yeah, I wouldn't have got this far without asking for help. That's for sure. <laughs> are there any um, key messages you'd like to tell our audience before we finish up today, tonight, your morning, my night? A couple of things. I think... Um, Find your passion is definitely the top tip. So, um, and it's got to be your passion because if it's somebody else's passion, then it will fade. So, you know, what is it you're passionate about? And then put in a coping strategy for what it is. So, you know, you might want to be a writer. Hopefully, you know, there might be people listening to this who think they, they can't do something. I, I, again, I kind of flip the things around that a lot of people say, concentrate on the things you can do. do, 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 do especially the American, you know, gurus. I, I think start with what you can't do. So again, like you said, and I've said, I didn't think I could write a book. And, and I think then when you think you can't do it, you have to work out why you want to do it. So I take it your book is to help dyslexics. So that's why you get up to do that. That's why you continue to do it. That's why you will do your audible because you know that that's why you're doing it. And if that you know it sounds quite cliche but the why is not strong enough you're not going to do it anyway it's it's having the thing you think you can't do and then the why and then you need the plan I think that's you know it's all the components that's having that plan in place and you know another like sort of story that's not actually linked well I say it's not linked to dyslexia I think it's linked to, to the dyslexic skill sets that we have so at 51 I had never done any exercise. I mean, no exercise. The, the most running I did was from the sofa to the wine fridge and then back again. <laughs> and I decided I was going to make a change. And I thought, I can't run. I can't, I can't do this. So I thought, well, why do I want to run? 
So again, following that whole strategy, can't do this, why do I want to do it? And both my parents died of stroke-related illnesses. I've obviously, um, not obviously, but I had arthritis. So I was having arthritis. I was in and out of London. I was struggling to get up and down stairs. And I thought, look, this is the time to take that can and, and try and make it be a can. So the first thing I did was I downloaded the Couch to 5K app. And I don't know if you get this, a BBC app. I'm sure you get that in, in Australia. And week one, you had to run for a minute. Okay, and I, I, I couldn't do it. I was on the pavement crying because I couldn't run for a minute. I had a choice to think, right, I'm going to give up. I'll just go back and sit on the sofa. Or what I can do is I can repeat week number one until I can run for a minute. And that's what I did. I just kept repeating the weeks until I could do it. And then I moved on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And again, that was the plan. Um, I also, again, I love wine. I mean, I don't know if that's coming from living in Australia. You know, I love a wee bit of a rosemont <laughs> chardonnay, darling. Oh, um, is it a dyslexic thing? Because there's a lot of dyslexics I know that like like a nice wine or a nice drink at the end of the day. Hospitality or I gave up wine. I did one year no beer, which is another app. And I did that for three months. So I stopped drinking alcohol for three months. And honestly, I didn't think I could last for three days. But why I wanted to, it was all part of this, you know, challenging myself further. And also then I did Weight Watchers and I dropped three and a half stone. I'm not sure what that is in, in other, other metrics. But so during that time, I actually transformed my life. So again, I believe that the strengths of the dyslexia really helped me with that as well. Because I think we've had to deal with just different situations that have been challenging and I think taking the core strengths from being dyslexic and not being like everybody else and maybe being given a hard time at school or a hard time at work or a hard time on social media for putting posts out that the grammar's not 100% correct I've taken all that and instead of turning it into negative you know oh it's not my fault I'm dyslexic I've turned it into positive energy to change my life and transform it and that's why you know you know, you look at my, the stuff that I've done, mm. it's all fueled and fired by my dyslexia and my, my will to prove the world wrong that I can do all these great things. And you've done so many amazing things. And I love that. Make your can't a can. I'm going to put that out as a quote when we put this podcast out by you because it's wonderful. And I think we're told so often we can't, especially when we're dyslexic that to listen to your story that's so inspirational hopefully will make people feel that they can because I, we really believe at the foundation that you can if there's the right support in place for you and you're just um, reinforcing everything we've been trying to promote in Australia. So it's just been so wonderful talking to you and I feel energised now about my book and I kept saying I can't, I can't, I can't and you've shown me that I can. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful to speak to you. Is there any last things before we um, finish our interview? Uh, no, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm quite easy to find. So it's Alison Edgar. Well, it's actually now Alison Edgar MBE because the Queen has given me an honour in the birthday list. So um, Alison Edgar on social media, it's at the Alison Edgar on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. It's Entrepreneurs Can Clan. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, honestly, I am not hard to find on social media or on Google. 
We'll have um, all your details up on your podcast page when we launch, including all the details of your book as well and um, your website so people can go and find more about you and all the amazing things you've done. So thank you so much again for your time. And I hope that people found this really inspiring because I certainly have. Oh, thank you, She. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about Alison and all her amazing work, including her recent book, head to deardyslexic.com. Each month, I interview a fellow dyslexic about all things dyslexia in life. The Question Dis series is running through Facebook Live. I really hope you can come along and join us for one of these sessions. If you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we do at the foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you have heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us admin at dyslexic.com. I hope you've enjoyed today. Bye for now. Uh.